Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. If the Democrats were to get behind someone like a Mark Cuban, uh, that would be the best approach to defeat Trump, because you have someone who's a mavericky, no pun intended, mavericky billionaire businessman uh, who is a capital I independent. He's not a creature of the establishment. He's not like a DC. I think if you run anyone who smacks of Washington, D.C. or capital D Democrat, you lose. One of my beliefs is that uh, Americans have just been casting about for change over and over again. Like Obama was change. Bernie was changed. Trump mm-hmm. was changed. Joe, strangely enough, was changed from Trump because people were like, okay, like I'm a little bit tired of, <laughs> yeah. of this stick during the pandemic. Um, and, and then now people, in my opinion, are getting tired of Joe. And then if, if you run uh, Amy or Pete or Kamala, they're going to be the establishment and they're, they're going to have a tough they're probably going to lose to Trump. Um, so you need to go outside of the establishment and get someone. Um, I think Cuban would make sense. I think if you were to go really far out like you, you and get even like a well-loved celebrity figure um, like uh, an Oprah or The Rock or, you know, mm-hmm. like one of these types, um, you know, I, I think it would steal a lot of the thunder from Trump. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people that just, again, they want to change. They want someone independent of the machine. They want someone who can hold their attention <laughs> in, a, in a positive yeah. way, uh, yep. you know, and not and not just say political pablum that's bullshit. This week on Forward, 2024, is it going to be Biden-Trump? Are there better choices among the Democrats? We actually think about who the Democrats could and should field in the next presidential race. Also, the terrible Michigan shooting, Chris Cuomo getting fired by CNN, Elizabeth Holmes, and more this week on Forward. And we are back on the Forward Podcast. Uh, why are Zach and I not in the same place? If you're watching this video, it's because I am at an AI conference in uh, the Caribbean. I know, it's a bit of a boondoggle, but here I am. You are living the dream, man. You are living the dream. You just posted, or Evelyn just posted a picture of you on Instagram uh, covered in monkeys. What are those? Those are lemurs. They They're are lemurs? delightful. They have thumbs. 
Um, their <laughs> fingers feel like little tiny leather suction cups. That's weird. I highly recommend feeding lemurs if you ever have an occasion to do so. Yeah, uh, actually, in college, we had a lemur center on campus. I got to go. Uh, it, once, it made me ask them, why cool. have we not domesticated these animals? Because they're so adorable and gentle and friendly. And the answer was that the lemur will just run away and we can, you'll never see it again. <laughs> that's, that's apparently why lemurs are you know, not good pets. Uh, learning a lot about the future of AI, meeting some great people, uh, you know, obviously sharing some some words of wisdom too. Uh, but I want to start off talking about this cover story in the Atlantic, which is very much uh, been on my mind, and it's not the first time it's been raised. It was raised by Bill Maher. It was ro- raised by Robert Kagan in the Washington Post. But the theme is that uh, there is a Trump plan to uh, essentially win regardless of the vote count uh, in 2024 um, as a follow-up to the undermining of the election in 2020. And there's this massive, the big lie, stop the steal, the election was stolen uh, line of argument that is believed by tens of millions of Americans. And I guess, you know, I, I don't think it, I need to say this, but I obviously don't think that stuff's legit. Like, I, I think that uh, Trump lost the election, um, yeah. uh, according to, to every shred of information that I've seen. <laughs> and that, uh, the courts have seen too, but Yeah, the courts, I mean, a lot of the stuff was spurious and thrown out. Um, this Atlantic article is worth reading. And I think this has to be front and center because... I'm getting very, very frustrated by the fact that there is this impending disaster coming down the pike and everyone's like, oh, we can't do anything about it. So we're going to talk about what the heck can be done to preserve democracy in the face of Trump running in 2024. Now, a few things I want to stipulate really quickly, and some some of this we've said before. Yes, I think Trump's going to run. Yes, I think he's going to win the nomination. He's going to be in great position, maybe to just a win straight up. And so first, let's try and review his opponent. Who the heck is going to represent the Democrats in 2024? Now, the obvious choice is Joe Biden, the incumbent who defeated Trump once. The major drawbacks are that he will be nearly 82 years old. He'll be 82 in November of 2024. So he's he'll be like 81.9. Uh, when uh, when election day is coming around. Uh, and his numbers right now are not great. I mean, a lot can change, obviously. Um, but right now he's at 42% or so. Um, 81 is pretty old. 81.9, I mean, that, that's a thing. And mm-hmm. this, this is a tough job. It ages you quick. Um, so next up would be Kamala Harris. Uh, but Kamala, la- the last number said that she pulled six points worse than Joe. Um, And so here's my my major push is that the Democrats need to figure out who the fuck is running in 2024 and get behind that person now. (laughs) I mean, maybe you don't need to spill the beans with the rest of us. (laughs) Like like maybe you don't want to like. So so the the, the tough thing here is that Joe does not want to be a lame duck. He doesn't want everyone just to be like, okay, you're like you're one and done. So he wants to pretend like he's running again in 2024. I think he genuinely wants to run again in 2024. But I, I think that, you know, that like, that the man is 
old <laughs> and and he'll, he's going to be like the visible avatar of a fading establishment you know what i mean like he was old this time um and you know i've been around joe any number of times uh you know over uh the um the months when we were on the trail i i would literally speak before and after him um Mm -hmm. in new hampshire and iowa where how many times were you around joe with me zach like how many times a lot yeah a good amount um my favorite joe biden moment dude was before the Miami debate is our first debate. So we're nervous as hell. We all line up in the hallway and Joe was like late and he came in was like, I say this, like, I didn't think he was going to win that sort of thing, but he was so damn smooth walking into that line. He was like, look like a silver Fox, cool as a cucumber, like a dad at a barbecue, just like shaking everybody's hand, giving a big smile, big grin. I was like, damn dude, that's a politician. Like, I don't know how to play it. Like he was just cool, calm, collected. Um, I'll never forget that ever. Um, but he was like great to you and, and you guys got to know each other pretty well or, you know, at least friendly wise. Yeah. And, and I saw him campaign when he was, you know, fairly robust and doing well. I saw him on other occasions where he was not great. Um, and yeah. uh, he did do poorly in both Iowa and New Hampshire in part, I think, because they saw a fair amount of him. And day to day, Joe was not killing it on the campaign trail. Yeah. My uh, moment was like one small backstage moment, like day to day, he feels older, you know? Um, yeah. Now, I mean, I, I like you're right that there were uh, periods too, when he was very winning. Like I, I always got along great with Joe. I, I like Joe mm-hmm. um, on, on that level. Um, but when I've seen him on TV lately, um, even I can pick up a difference between him now and him uh 17 months ago or whatever the heck it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when we're, like, like that, that there, there's something happening. Um, and again, this job ages you quick now. So Joe does not want to talk about him not running again because it makes him less relevant and into a lame duck. Um, and no one wants to talk about the fact that Kamala may not be the pick. Um, but you can tell that there's a ton of, uh, anxiety around Kamala as the, as the next, standard bearer for the Democratic Party because of all these negative press stories that are coming out. Someone mm-hmm. in the Biden administration, certainly in on. <laughs> oh, yeah. These, these are leaks. These, these leaks. are planted stories. Yeah. They're trying to either blame her for mistakes of the administration, which happens all the time in you know, president vice president relationships, or beat her up enough so that when they open that they can open up the primary. So, so this is my concern, Zach is that the Democrats don't really reckon with what the heck's going on. Um, 2022 rolls around. Uh, Democrats get wiped out by the Republicans in the fall in terms of the House, maybe the Senate, but almost certainly the House. You know, there, there's a pall that falls on, on the Democrats in D.C. Everyone's like, oh, no. 23 rolls around. Trump declares the Democrats still haven't figured out who's running, and then they essentially default to Joe because they're like, well, uh, but then, then Joe runs... Um, and just loses straight up to Trump. Mm-hmm. I, I see this as the most likely scenario um, right now. Uh, now, there, the next thing up would be that Joe, lit- I mean, he literally could have a health problem. Um, and then Kamala could become the acting president or the, you know, and then be running as essentially the incumbent. Um, so then you have that dynamic, too, where it's Trump versus Kamala. I think that Kamala is a much better chance if she's the incumbent than if she's not. Mm. Um, but at this point, 
I, I can almost see in my mind's eye like the, there being this collective freak out in the Democratic Party trying to figure out who's going to run. Uh, and then I don't think Kamala clears the field. And then you do have a competitive primary. And you and I are now going to talk a little bit about what the heck that field looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, this this is frustrating to me because I, I think that there's uh, still no real sense as to who the Democratic standard bearer is going to be. And if they're in figure it out mode in 23, maybe that's fine in the sense that, you know, like like maybe you need for lightning to strike. Um, but one thing that I do know is that most of the Democrats with national aspirations ran in 2020. Like there, there was a, it was a wide open field. There were 24 candidates. Like if you were someone who thought, hey, like, you know, I might want to be president, um, you probably ran. Um, and so let, let's talk about the folks who would likely run in a 2023 Democratic primary, starting with the most obvious challenger to Kamala be Pete Buttigieg. He's probably the top draft pick, I guess, for the Dems. Yeah. So so Pete has a lot of strengths, a lot of assets. He's very smart, very good campaigner, really excellent with the media. The media mm-hmm. just seems to love Pete, and you, you understand it. Um, he, he's uh, an extraordinarily high-level media athlete. Mm-hmm. He's super articulate. His depth of knowledge and policy, very, very good. Yeah, his major deficiency in terms of electoral democratic politics is that he's had a hard time connecting with voters of color, um, where if you look at his performance during the primaries, and it'd be funny, if there was a primary again, we'd be going to very well-trodden ground in the sense that it would be in New Hampshire, and I, you know, Pete still has yeah. friends in a lot of these places. Um, so Pete performed very well in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then when he got to Nevada and South Carolina, um, the just the the bottom went out, you know, like right. his, his support evaporated um, in large part because those constituencies were more diverse. Um, and Pete has a very, very strong and clear appeal to uh, conventional mainstream Democrats who, uh, you know, who are white, <laughs> really. Um, yeah. But uh, so would it change over the this number of months that Pete would develop that connection with voters of color. Who knows? Uh, you know, his other potential drawback might might be that he's a bit on the younger side. I think he's 39 right now. He would have been Secretary of Transportation for, um, you know, several years. But that that's not what people think of really as mm-hmm. training to be president. Like, I, I think most Americans would struggle to name um, any previous Secretary of Transportation. <laughs> you know, like, like it's, it, it's not really thought of as that kind of um, succession uh, right. type um, uh, type type pick, um, but but Pete has very high name idea at least among Dems, uh, and so I think Pete is your is your strongest choice in part. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is that I think that Democrats need to be building up somebody, um, and, and Pete at least has been through a uh, race and so ha- has some of that name ID. Um, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person that was in that race that you can see uh, running again is Amy Klobuchar. What do you think about Amy? I think she she hits the same lane uh, as Pete does in many ways. In that uh, Midwestern, uh, they're not actually like authentic or that relatable, but they're more authentic and relatable compared to I think a lot of other politicians. 
uh, so they come off as folksy. And um, I think, I, I think if it's Amy Klobuchar, the badass, um, she's uh, a very a, a, a pretty compelling candidate. I think um, at least if you're just talking about like a institutionally backed Democratic contender, what do you think? The one of the reasons why I'm I'm animated about this is I I think that it would be tough to pick any of these candidates against Trump in 24. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so that, that's the thing that I, I want to try and really grapple with is that, that, that if you're the Democrats, I mean, the fact is Democrats lost to Trump once uh, in part because you had Hillary as the nominee. Um, I, I think, and the fix was in for Hillary. And I, I think if it had been Bernie, then, you know, there's a chance that it goes the other direction, even though Bernie wasn't quote unquote electable and Hillary was quote unquote electable. <laughs> and then you're, electable candidate loses to Trump. And so, you know, you screwed that up once. Um, and you, you, you're on the verge. This is my big thing. It's like you're on the verge of screwing it up again um, because you're going to run someone who's going to, to lose to Trump. Yeah. Uh, and, and we can all see this coming, by the way, again, you know, three years beforehand. And I'm kind of beseeching uh, to the extent that there's you know, any, any chance of getting through to Democrats, it's like, you might want to get ahead of this freight train because right. their front page articles kind of painting the picture and you're like looking at it. And then we're going to talk about other things you could do to, to maybe prevent this catastrophe. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, I think that this field, um, it's going to be tough for any of them to beat Trump. Um, and so one of the things that I'm going to suggest, first, I, let me address, too. It's like uh, so someone said, look, if the Democrats have a primary, some new people show up, too, which is probably true. Some people likely saw me or Tom Steyer run last time and then, then they show up. So, you know, you, you don't know precisely who this field looks like. There might be some new actor. Heck, you know, I mean, I could show up again. I'm not, you know, like, yeah, Bernie's an independent and he ran. I mean, I could be like, hey, like, I'm, 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 I'm an independent. I'm running anyway. So, like, no. No, no, you know, would I do that? Probably not. But, <laughs> um, but, but would there be someone who resembles that who shows up? Like, is there a bit of a, you know, um, a process? Um, yes. Um, but I, I think that we the, that the Democrats, if they wanted someone to beat Trump, would need someone who embodies some of the anti-institutionalist fervor that Trump embodies. Right. Um, and none of the people we named actually have that energy or vibe. Like they all yeah. feel very, very um, establishment-y. Of the major Democratic contenders, the one who doesn't feel establishment-y at all is Bernie, um, because Bernie's just, you know, like a socialist due to the people who wants to, mm -hmm. you know, um, redistribute things yep. and like give things to poor people. And, you know, it's like, like so people are like, okay, he's not, corrupt uh or captive in in the same way that they feel right. a lot of politicians are um so uh, i feel like it, what democrats should be doing is trying to just have one qualification which is does this person beat trump not do i wish this person uh <laughs> you know beats trump but like actually would defeat him um and so i think democrats would be well served to go outside of their conventional candidates and find someone who actually has a bit of that energy
This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your Internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. One of the reasons I don't love Kamala, Pete, Joe, still a little bit, um, Klobuchar, is because they are Team Dem Democrats, in a sense, and they're institutionalized, and Trump eats politicians for breakfast. Actually, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's too easy of a lane for him because he just could say everything's bad because of these people. He just gets to point the finger the whole time. And he's been that forever. It's authentic. People identify with it. He'll hammer it home. When here's my question for you. So in 2016, before you ran, um, in my mind's eye, I was like, how do you beat Trump? And my two ideas were either the whole party lines up behind like the plain vanilla candidate, which we ended up doing. It was Joe. Uh, but some were like, all right, this guy's like passable. It doesn't matter. Just get Trump out. Or a, I thought it had to be a young anonymous. Um, I thought it had to be a male to, to kind of, combat his masculine energy, but like an unknown coming out of nowhere and maybe combating with a certain type of, of new politics. And, and Pete was that, and you were that, you both kind of checked that box. Um, but I'm trying to look at 2024 and I'm curious your thoughts on if you, let, let's blank slate it. And I know it's not really fair, but theoretically, how do you defeat him? What is this round three? I guess this is round three of Trump running for president, right? Yeah. So, uh, I think that if the Democrats were to get behind someone like a Mark Cuban, uh, that would be the best approach to defeat Trump because you have someone who's a mavericky, no pun intended, mavericky billionaire businessman uh, yeah. who is a capital I independent. He's not a creature of the establishment. He's not like a DC. I think if you run anyone who smacks of Washington, D.C., or capital D Democrat, you lose. Mm -hmm. uh, like you, you need to go outside of your own um, backyard or in crowd um, and get someone who actually can make a similar case to Trump and say, okay, things suck. It's a mess. We need real change. And I represent real change. One of my beliefs is that 
Americans have just been casting about for change over and over again. Like Obama was change. Bernie was change. Trump mm-hmm. was change. Joe, strangely enough, was changed from Trump because people were like, okay, like I'm a little bit tired of, <laughs> yeah. of this stick during the pandemic. Um, and, and then now people, in my opinion, are getting tired of Joe. And then if, if you run uh, Amy or Pete or Kamala, they're going to be the establishment and they're, they're going to have a tough, they're probably going to lose to Trump. Um, so you need to go outside of the establishment and get someone. Um, I think Cuban would make sense. I think if you were to go really far out, like you, you and get even like a well-loved celebrity figure, um, like uh, an Oprah or The Rock or you know, mm-hmm. like one of these types, um, you know, I, I think it would steal a lot of the thunder from Trump. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people that just again they want to change. They want someone independent of the machine. They want someone who can hold their attention <laughs> in, a, in a positive yeah. way. Uh, yep. You know, and not and not just say political pablum that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, right. like um, so. So that this is the 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 thing I want to emphasize is like, look, we can see that disaster is coming down the pike uh, in twenty four, um, and so you should be thinking about trying to avert disaster. And not just kind of trundle along, do the thing that comes naturally, and oh, by the way, you're going to lose. And then, you know, X, year, X months later, we're looking up being like, okay, what the hell happened? So mm-hmm. number one is trying to actually win fair and square uh, along with the votes. And then number two would be to try and make sure that the vote count matters um, because they're going to be trying to undermine and subvert election findings um, the whole time. Um, there are tens of millions of Americans that now are on board with that general narrative and just refuse to believe that Trump loses unless it's stolen from him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I said something to someone that I believe, and it's going to be tough. If Trump runs, I have a hard time imagining a scenario where we don't have some type of um, widespread political violence uh, and unrest yeah. in, in 24. Yeah. Because yep. if Trump wins straight up, which again, I see as right now, uh, probably the most likely scenario um, with some of the opponents that we, we've described, right. then there are protests around the country because Trump won again. And, you know, you, you'd have um, uh, people in blue states and in urban areas and, and other, other places um, protesting. You'd probably have people show up in DC protesting. Um, certainly, you know, after Trump resumed living in the white house. Um, but I, I think there'd be protests immediately. Um, and if Trump, loses and claims victory, then you'd have uh, political violence uh, from the other direction where you'd have tons of uh, MAGA folks out in the street saying the election was stolen again. Uh, I think that those people will be spoiling for a fight, particularly after Trump spends months ginning them up um, if he's running. So you are looking at a really, really bleak, tempestuous, tough uh, season um, and so one of the questions is how can you try and strengthen people's sense of resolve around uh, the vote and voting and, and other things? Um, now, now, this is some of the work that I'm doing with the forward party, which is I, I think in 22, there is a chance that you can shift certain environments from party primaries to open primaries that could change in the incentives for a critical mass of Republican legislators who could then look up and maybe uh, pass legislation saying you can't 
fire secretaries of state or, you know, you, you can't like for no reason or you can't right. just have state legislators uh, decide who the electoral votes go to. Uh, you know, that, that's not the point of, <laughs> of the state legislators certifying is not just a, you know, counteract the will of the people. Um, so we have uh, uh, an opportunity in 2022 that everyone should be staring at. Um, and a lot of the action is around um, moderate re Republicans who don't like Trump, but feel like if they say a bad word about him, then their career is going to be over. Or worse yet, that their families are going to be threatened. Did mm. you read the article in The Atlantic about Peter Meyer and his experience? No. So I, I thought this was very, very compelling. There were 10 members of Congress who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Right. Um, and originally it was looking like 20 and then it just went down and down and down because all of them were being threatened. Um, and so this is an article by our friend Tim Alberta in The Atlantic about Peter Meyer, who, by the way, is only 33 years old, had just taken his seat, just shows up and then is getting asked to vote whether to impeach Trump. And then he's getting text messages from everyone being like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then he kind of stared long and hard in the mirror and was like, I think I have to do it. And uh, and then he ended up having his, um, you know, like his safety threatened and like all, all this stuff and 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 all these members of congress and so there's there's this thing where apparently a bunch of people were in the same situation but they a lot of them just decided out of fear for their own physical safety to just be like i'm not gonna vote to in, in, impeach trump um and and, and that to oh. me it's a very very worthwhile read uh this tim alberta piece about peter meyer and i i met peter meyer um, I've actually known him socially for a while because I did work in Detroit and mm. he, he's been, uh, you know, working hard in economic development um, for a, a long time. So I like Peter. Um, I, I find him to be very reasonable uh, and principled. So he did the right thing in, in this direction and paid a massive price. Um, but interestingly, Peter seems like he's going to um, actually get reelected um, for, for a variety of reasons. But of the members of Congress who voted to impeach Trump, of those 10, two have already said they're not running again. Anthony Gonzalez right. in Ohio and then Adam Kinzinger in Illinois, um, which is a huge loss. So you have a very, very small number of Republicans who decided to uh, stand up to Trump and it hasn't gone well for them. I mean, that, that's the main thing in this article is that the people who decided to stand up for principle right. were not shielded or rewarded. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. 
Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash yang. That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. One of the biggest challenges if you start throwing out names and celebrities is that they actually have to be media trained. And I don't mean media trained like they took a couple courses. Like they have to be a pro at navigating the media. And we're talking years of experience. For sure. Because it's hard. And if you watch, I mean, frankly, Howard Schultz, I thought would be a compelling candidate. Like guys like from work, like working class background, built Starbucks from nothing, like cool story. And and his first interview was like pretty awful. Um, And not like, Oh, you're a little rusty. Like, no, like, dude, like you haven't talked to a regular human in a long time, man. Um, and Bloomberg had a bit of that too. Um, and you can overcome it with money and things like that. But um, Cuban is one that's so compelling because he is in the public eye all the time, off script. You know, he's on podcasts. He's on Cuban's shows, a so. media pro. Yeah. Um, and uh, Cuban also, and like I, I know Mark, Cuban can talk to a regular guy and it's like like totally comfortable. He, you know, right. he, he, he'll shoot the shit with anyone. Right. I mean, he owns um, a fucking, you know, sports team, you know. Not to say that right. all these sports owners are are able to do that because a lot of them can't. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. but, 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 so that was a bad argument to use. But Cuban <laughs> is, um, you know, is a relatable human in, yep. in my experience. Right now it's, it's Pete. You know, it's like, I don't know. I'm just a. Well, right now James. it's Joe or Kamala. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and, and the, the, the other thing is like, so there, there has been some scuttlebutt and this is very, very DC ish. It's very kind of house of cards ish. I don't know if you heard this shit. It's actually West wing ish where, where they're saying that they want to put Kamala on the Supreme court as an elegant way of getting her. So everyone knows that um, it's going to be very difficult uh, in terms of appearances to, uh, have Kamala step aside because she's a woman of color and you can't just shove the black woman aside and then insert some other dude. Um, and so there has to be a way for her to exit uh, gracefully. And so th- this is one of the ideas that's out there. So, um, you know, it's like, can can you see something of a reshuffling of the deck? Um, let me say for the record, I think that this is exactly the kind of thing you should be thinking about or doing because just kind of like walking along and letting days pass uh, and then looking up, you know, in 23 and 24 and being like, Hey, it turns out we're, we're not excited about this plan. Like that, that's, that's dumb. Um, so, you know, you need to make a clear eyed call at some point and say, well, if we don't like the way this is going to lay out, then maybe we should be thinking creatively. You're talking about future of the nation type stuff. Cause if he wins, if Trump just takes the election, uh, and if it's close or he didn't actually win, but then takes it, uh, I don't know what happens, but uh, it's not going to be good. I don't know how you get him out of there because um, the rules are out the window. If Trump wins again, which again, I, I will say it's like I see as the most likely scenario as we're having this conversation, unfortunately, because uh, I'm no Trump fan at all. Um, he's going to surround himself with the most corrupt sycophants and yes men and women. Uh, whereas last time, if you remember, there was some cycling through some reasonable figures who were like, yeah, not not so there much. Were a whole yeah, bunch, like yeah. this, yeah, like a, a bunch of people. This time, all of that goes out the window. This time, it would be full on loyalists uh, and uh, really unsavory types. You know, yeah. Trump, Trump would just go Jones in, and it, it would be like you thought last time was bad. This stuff would get much darker. Ten times worse, yeah. And, and then when Trump decides to do something. 
like it would actually maybe happen. Um, keep in mind, Trump also is getting older. He's like he's he's going to be 77 in 2024. Um, and so I mean, you just imagine this unhinged uh, 77 year old who just wants to just you know settle scores. I mean, it'd, it'd be a disaster. Um, so anything we can do to avoid this, uh, we should be doing, which is why I'm, I'm trying to push hard and be like, look, if we just do business as usual, this is probably what happens. And it's, it's, it's going to make last time look like sanity central. Yeah. If I'm Biden's team right now, it's probably what I'd do. Um, I'd have a conversation with Joe and at a certain, like figure out it sooner rather than later, but say, are you going to run again or not, bud? Like, do we want to, um, he has the right to run. He won the first time. Theoretically, he could do it again. I don't think he will at this point. But um, And then there's health, right? And if the answer to that is no, then he should at some point strategically, in my opinion, resign, um, which would be a obviously a massive deal, never done before. But let Kamala come in, take the president spot, and lead for a year, get some experience there. But then you say, you now have the right to do an open primary, you say, because she wasn't actually elected, we are going to have a primary, and you can run as the incumbent if you want, or you can just finish out the term. To I, to me, that is, I don't know if it's the best thing optically, but it's not a bad choice. I don't know if your thoughts on that. Well, I think if you go to Joe now and say, are you going to run again? He says yes. Um, and and this is one of the problems, because you know if, if your 79-year-old boss is like, yeah, yeah, and then they keep saying, yeah, yeah, and then time passes. And then the big run, we don't want to run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah this is right. an issue. I'm going to share something that I thought was fascinating. I talked to a woman who runs focus groups on, on voters, and she said that many voters use the phrase bridge candidate for Joe Biden. And say, oh, he's a bridge, like he's, you know, one term. And then when they ask, uh, who's he a bridge to? Like, who, who's, who's going to be president after Joe? Uh, voters drew a blank. They, they did not all just come out and be like, Kamala, Pete. They were just like, oh. like, like they, they yeah. were able to kind of superimpose their uh, fantasy person <laughs> after Joe. Um, so I don't hate what you're saying in that, you know, you want to actually have a real figure um, that Joe transitions to if it's not going to be Joe. Um, so him resigning and then Kamala be, being the incumbent, um, at, at least then people uh, would regard her in that light. Though I agree with you, she faces a competitive primary um, in almost any circumstance. I think the only person who avoids a primary is Joe. Well, so the the, the other big part of this is that um, the Republican Party should be two parties. There, there should be a Trump party and then a moderate Republican party. The problem right now is the moderate Republicans are all beholden to the Trumpers in their districts, and so they they can't make a principled decision. Um, ideally, you say the speaking, same about the left. Democrats should be two parties too: a progressive party and then and moderate Democrats. Yeah. And then there would probably be a fifth party somewhere in the middle. Uh, it's called the Forward Party, and that, that that would be a functional system. And then the Trumpers would represent about, you know, let's say half the Democratic Party, maybe even a little more, but maybe like 30% of the entire total. And then Mm -hmm. we don't worry about having, uh, you know, autocracy in three years. I mean, like that's an infinitely better system. Um, Now, can you get that done between now and 24? I mean, that that would be the dream if they just turned around. Uh, And actually, I, I genuinely think that Democrats should be doing this. 
is check this out. This is actually this is actually the the best plan of, out of anything we talked about. Democrats, there is a way you can preserve democracy no matter what happens in 2024. And here it is: just pass the Fair Representation Act, which shifts us from single-member districts to multi-member districts and leads to a genuinely multi-party system very quickly because if you have a certain proportion of votes in a district, you get a representative. And then everything I'm talking about actually magically happens where uh, Trumpers, instead of controlling the Republican Party, they get 25%, you have moderate Republicans with, with some other percentage. All you need to do is pass the Fair Representation Act and democracy survives. I'm sure you won't do it because, um, you know, like that that's not the way you think. But just look it up, the Fair Representation Act. How does it work mechanically? So mechanically. Like does, yeah. But it, what it does is it makes the U.S. Look, look a lot like other modern democracies where um, it, it's not that the people in a district get one rep. It's at, so let, let's say that there is a state um, that right now has you know, uh, five members of Congress. Um, and, and so the, the way it would work is, and there are five districts. So you mm-hmm. know each district, you know, let, let, you know, oh, okay. this one. So what it is, you combine it into one super district, and then the representatives get split up uh, based upon the proportion of votes that each party gets within that super district. So if you had a normal district, you would probably have one progressive, one moderate Dem, mm. one uh, one moderate Republican, one conservative Republican, and then the fifth would be you know what, what, one of those four based upon maybe the forward party again. It, it, it'd be one of those things. So then every district, every super district would have the same kind of breakup, and so you'd have uh, Congress that looks like the parliaments of a lot of other countries. Where you have, you know, twenty percent of them are progressives, and you know, like that. Th- this is actually the best, most effective way to preserve our democracy. I don't talk about it that much because I know there's no chance that a majority of members of Congress look up tomorrow and say, you know what, we should just switch to like genuinely a representative mm-hmm. system and have a multi. But but this is the only way we're going to save, in my opinion, um, our country from the this nightmare scenario in 24 so hey you know like fair representation act by 2022 then problem solved so if i'm a state i have five seats in my state three are super red two are super blue this would just be five and then depending on how the popular vote shakes out in my state those five are divided up proportionally based on performance or who got who performed well in the election is that how that works well, you, you'd probably have a similar makeup, like, but, the, but it wouldn't be just two parties, probably, because um, then any, any oh, group anybody that got over run. 20%. Um, and is the bill on the floor right now, or it's been uh, sponsored? It's been proposed, the Fair Representation wow. Act. Sorry, um, I'm so fr- new our, to this. I'm no, no, don't here. worry about it. Our friend Rokana, I think, is one of the co-sponsors. Uh, so, you know, our future democracy... Uh, I, I think bill. this bill. Awesome. I think this bill literally has like, like you know, four signers. I, I should look it up. <laughs> um, oh but but it, but this this would be the the saving grace. Okay, so one of the big takeaways: if you can see a giant disaster coming down your way a few years from now, you might want to think big about how you can prevent it and not just do business as usual, so that we all are left looking up, wondering what the hell happened a few years from now. Um, so think bigger. Fair Representation Act, recruit someone who can 
give Trump some of his own medicine. Um, but if you just play by your usual playbook, we all suffer for it. We need to stop pretending everything's fine as the Democratic Party. That's the big one. Yes. And if you're a journalist listening to this, also think bigger. I mean, come on. <laughs> Amen. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I want to get your take on the uh, school shooting in Oxford because it actually, there's not always a lot to talk about with with, with school shootings because they're just so tragic. But this one had some interesting policy um, implications I want to get your thoughts on. I think most people are familiar with the fact patterns. Um, and the, the main issue right now is that the parents have been charged. Yes. Uh, and that's unusual. Um, and they've been charged uh, with murder or like involuntary manslaughter and not like child abuse or neglect or some of the other things that is usually the precedent in something like this. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so um, believe it or not, I went to law school a million years ago. Um, and, and so my, my understanding of the, the way they're getting charged is under kind of the old school criminal law. Um, so there are different standards of behavior. Um, so there is, you know, normal behavior, and then there's what's called negligence. And then there's a higher level of negligence, uh, what you'd call a criminal negligence, um, which then can spill into recklessness. Uh, and then after recklessness is some kind of um, uh, motivated criminal behavior. So typically recklessness uh, is a pretty high standard. Um, and so what they're, they're doing is they're arguing that in this case, the parent's behavior was so bad that you can hold them to be criminally liable um, based upon the, what they did. Um, which is in this case buying a firearm for their 15-year-old son um, and then ignoring various admonitions and warning signs and meeting with the, the school administration and, and some other things. Um, it's a very, very aggressive legal tack, in my opinion. Um, and uh, I find myself torn genuinely uh, on it in, in the sense that um, the, the fact that the prosecutors are trying to go in this direction, um, I think, is, is something that is interesting. Um, and I'm not saying that they're going to win, but I think it's interesting that they bring it because if you're a parent in other parts of the country, like, oh, shit, like you can actually get in trouble for that. Mm -hmm. um, and and re regardless of whether or not it, it ends up being a winning case for the prosecutors. And, and I oh, think I that's part of this. I think what they're doing is they're trying to bring this case in order to send a message um, that there is a line that you shouldn't cross um, uh, around. And I don't think anyone would argue that they intended this, but that, that this was criminally reckless. Yeah. Um, and, and then you look at this fact pattern and you think, okay, like, is there 
a fact pattern where you think that parents maybe should be responsible. And I think most of us can imagine a scenario where you're like, okay, that was like just, you know, way beyond like if like your mm-hmm. child came to you and was like, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, having these, these terrible, terrible, harmful thoughts. And you bring out and we're like, Hey, here's a gun, you know, like, like yeah. you, you know, and then, um, like, like there's a, there's a threshold at which you might want to actually have some kind of responsibility. Um, right. so I, I, I find myself, um, torn, but kind of interested and sort of impressed, frankly, by the prosecutors taking this tack. Um, now I am not sure that the parents either will be or should be held guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that even if they aren't guilty under the law, it actually does send a message that's like, look, there's a threshold at which we're going to start trying to hold people responsible. Right. I look, I always hesitate to like jump to conclusions when these trials, these, this case are, it's just getting tried in the media right now. Um, like we talked about Kyle Rittenhouse and other things, like there are things that we don't know everything but what appears to have happened was that yeah the parents bought their 15 year old a a gun and then he was caught in school both looking at bullets and then the day of the shooting drawing like horrific school shooting pictures and then the parents who came in that day and met with the counselor allegedly uh didn't mention to the counselor or anyone that their kid just got a gun um and they also didn't take it they also didn't take him home yeah Um, they left him there um I guess like this this standard of um, when your kids fuck up, how much trouble do parents get in, right? And it feels like a gray, it's important area to define, but it's gray, right? Um, if uh, And I think guns you could probably just define as different, but if your kid takes your car and kills somebody with it um, or takes your knife or takes a chainsaw or, you know, that, that sort of thing, and you were... I don't know. That was some, I, I think some generally, generally speaking, I think most everyone agrees that it would be too much to hold parents responsible for the act, actions of their children. Right. I, I think this situation is something where um, it begins to blur that line because, you know, the parents bought him a gun. Um, and uh, anything else you just named, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, hey, I have knives in the house. Who cares? Hey, like yeah. there's a car in the house. Who cares? Like, you know, it's yeah. like, hey, like... You know, uh, but in this case, it's like, look, I bought the kid a gun. And if, if you buy the kid a gun, there is some sense that you at least don't think the kid's a danger. Like, like if, if, yeah. if, you know, so um, I, I don't think parents should be held responsible for what their, their children do. Um, it, it, parents should be held responsible for what they themselves do, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and there's only a very select number of situations where what the parents do um, actually uh, can lead you to, to feel like, okay, they actually had some part in it. I do like, it was one of these things like, okay, we have proven time and time again that we're in, unable, unable, I'm not sure, unwilling, if it's a skill or a will problem, but we just can't regulate guns in the United States of America. Um, but it did feel like me, there is a, um, maybe a shortcut is just regulate some of the stuff in public opinion, um, which maybe is to your, kind of your point earlier where this is like a, like like a social pressure that if you are if your kids are having guns or people in your family having guns that there's responsible gun ownership um at least that's expected of you or massive massive consequences if you don't um i don't know but it, it look it's tragic my heart goes out to that entire community um yeah it's it's awful and, but, uh, and you know and, and it is the case too that 
you know, like thousands of parents are buying their kids guns and, you know, nothing like this happens. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, that, that's that's happening around the country all the time. Um, but it's a killing machine, you know, if you like, regardless where you stand on gun rights, like if people are going to have them, they better learn how to use them safely. Holy crap. Well, this is one of the tragic things, too, that, you know, I wrote in um, my book that there are 300 million farms in this country. Your point about not being able to regulate them. I mean, th- yeah. this country is the most heavily armed place in the history of the world. My, my parents in Florida, like, have a gun for safety reasons. It's like there's no real instruction manual when you get one. You know what I'm saying? It's not like uh, and I'm talking about like no one. I mean, they don't even have to. Sh- they don't really show you how to use it either unless you ask. Um generally speaking now there's some responsible gun shops and um, i'm not an expert here not pretending to be but um it does seem pretty easy to get and give out man and that's terrifying you know? well it's, it's one of the ingredients why we're going to see over the next number of uh, days in, in the u.s that disintegration is so painful here it's like yeah. uh, you know it's like in, in another society if there's like a mentally ill 15 year old kid with violent fantasies i mean you know he's, he's not going that's to all he is yeah, yeah, he's not going to kill four people. So uh, we'll see how that trial pays out. I'm going to preserve my own, I guess, judgment to you. We learn more of the facts. It's not just from the prosecution, the media, but oh, awful. Um, but they, I'm, I'm glad you got your thoughts. Chris Cuomo was fired CNN um, for I, his role. I was surprised that he was fired from um, from CNN. I, I tweeted too. that, and some people beat me up over it. But um, yeah, like I, I mean, he he did some things that. Uh, you know, uh, we're obviously, um, not good, not good, <laughs> like bad, um, you know, I, I feel like a, a lot of them you kind of expected because, you know, it, it was his brother and his brother was in a tough spot. So, you know, like you, you think that it, it was much more realistic, I think, to expect him to do things on behalf of his brother to be like, Oh, can't journalist, you know, and the rest of it. Yes. Um, and, 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 you know, and CNN had already kind of, um, you know, started tiptoeing around this stuff because they'd allowed uh, Chris to interview Governor Cuomo. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so if you already are at that point. Um, so I thought when he was suspended that that would be it. I think that there's something else going on where either there's like a communication or some other piece of information that uh, CNN is privy to that the rest of us are not. Um, mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, and, and there are some people that thought he should be fired based upon the stuff that was already out. Um, but I, I think there's something else. Yeah, I don't really get mad about this type of stuff because uh, look, and you and I, and Carly's been on here too. We've railed against the media. We have plenty. We know the, I think we know the media pretty well, but I'm never actually mad at their actions, like on a human level, because they're not pretending they're not biased at, you know what I'm saying? Like they're for-profit entities. They're not claiming, I mean, they, they, they maybe exude the fact that they're true news, but they're, their bias is so obvious and their spin is so obvious. And, you know, I think, I think that's kind of uh, par for the course at this point. And for this, in this case, your point, his bias was extremely obvious. Like everybody knew it was his brother. Totally he obvious. Going to CNN to be like, oh, let me get the objective take on the Governor Cuomo situation. Like, of course not. <laughs> I, I also will say that, like, I, I think I'm a bit biased on this one because uh, Chris Cuomo was one of the better journalists to me on the presidential where he seemed to actually take in what I was saying with an open mind. Yeah. Um, treated us with respect uh, pretty early on um, in a way that was relatively memorable for me as a candidate. I was like, oh shit, yeah. like, you know, like Chris gets it. 
Um, and so I, I, it could be that my reaction is um, is influenced by that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, this, the firing me surprising because like this is what they do. They do influence. Now, there, news. I think there's something else going on too. Yeah, uh, I think so it, too. Uh, you know, another thing, too, that I'll say, it's like I worked at CNN for a, a little bit. CNN does not seem to care about, like, quote-unquote pressure or, like, op-eds. Like, like, CNN genuinely just seems to do what it thinks it is best. Um, you know, like, Jeff Zucker, I mean, runs the place. It, he has his own. So there, there's something up um, that yeah. I, I don't think that we're seeing. And they did allude to that, right? They did say, like, they did allude to that. Yeah, I think, yeah. There's, I think there's something. Um, so that's rough. Um yeah, maybe they're letting him save face or something because the last thing anybody needs, not just CNN, all of us, we don't need a second Cuomo scandal. Um, and this wasn't really a scandal. This was a bit of one, but like, you know, we all kind of saw it. It was kind of public. The more more inside Cuomo investigations, put it that way. I don't think we all are jonesing for that, you know. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. People who've been really up on my stuff know that I met Elizabeth Holmes at the White House. Actually, if you watch the Elizabeth Holmes documentary on HBO, which is a really good watch. Um, Bad Blood, to call it? Uh, yes. Bad Blood. Um, if you watch closely, you'll see I pop, up, I pop up in her White House photos where when she's at the White House, it's like, you know, there's Yang just, just standing there. Um, and so I met her. And I, I'm not sure if my meeting her uh, pushes me in a particular direction. I feel like she defrauded people. <laughs> like uh, I, I, you know, and, and I think now they're, they're trying. She's uh, presenting it as as if her, um, you know, like uh, ex boyfriend was like the mastermind Svengali type. And it's like maybe, um, but you know, I, like I, I feel like she defrauded people personally. <laughs> yeah, Yo, you tweeted. You tweeted in April of 2019. I just Googled Andrew Yang, Elizabeth Holmes, found that picture. Uh, but then you said, God asked yesterday what I thought when I met Elizabeth Holmes in the White House. It wasn't a long conversation. My main memory was that she had a deep voice. <laughs> she, she, so I don't know if you know that, but, uh, you know, she, she... Yeah, she changed her voice, yeah. yeah she, she, so it, just talking to her, she was like, hi. And like, and I'm just like, huh. It, it, it seemed like an affectation, but I was like, mm, you know, what do, what do I know? Um, so th this is one thing I will say. Oh, man, I, I, I'll say it because I thought it, whatever. Um, so I have met dozens, hundreds of impressive entrepreneurs over my career, impressive people. Uh, yeah. and, and there's like, you have too. Um, and there's like a certain energy that a lot of them emanate, particularly entrepreneurs. Um, and, uh, you know, meeting Elizabeth Holmes, I did not come away with that feeling. I did not come away with that feeling of like, oh, like this per like I can see how this person founded a billion dollar company, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, like there's like a certain um, presence mm -hmm. or aura or like, you know, energy. Like I didn't get that. 
Interesting. Um, uh, from her. Now, uh, and that that's a recollection I remember like contemporaneously. Like it, that wasn't me like going back. And you still remember that. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember. It's like I remember meeting her and being more like the 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 word I would use for myself was confused. Like I met her and I came away confused. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to make of that that person or this conversation right. or like it wasn't um, it wasn't clear to me at all. Um, and so th- then later when this information comes out, I was like, oh, you know, that's not right. good. That's so fascinating, though, because um, she's known for charming everyone, being so impressive, like Henry Kissinger and go down to the Waltons, like all these uh, in many ways, American institutions are like infatuated with with her and her pitch. Um, my question for you on this is. Uh, I want to talk about like mas- entrepreneurs massaging the truth, you know? Um, and I don't mean that lying. Like, I think it's all like, if you're like, like that's fraud, right? If you're like, de- I don't want to mean de- defrauding investor and, uh, you know, doing things that are you're at deceiving investors is what I'm looking for. Um, but what I mean is like, you know, when you're, when you're starting, you're trying to get that first investment or you're bootstrapping that sort of thing. You're not, telling them all, you're not showing all your warts you know what i'm saying like you're not um you're going to paint a great picture of what you are going to build that's going to be aspirational very naturally in doing this um have you ever like lived the you know the at least from your end and people pitching you because i know you've done a lot of those like people like not telling you the whole truth or where where's that line because i do think it's more gray i obviously the thought line is like fraud right but it's uh, in between there it can get kind of gray in the startup world it, it it can get great in the startup world, but that there no shit was fraud, man. I mean, but if you listen, tough. I've listened to podcasts a bit. Some of these like Bad Blood Pod talking about the home child, and she's like, she she does make some blatant lies, and they like slapped a Pfizer logo on like a you know they forged like a document that got them a hundred million dollars. Like they they lied a lot of shit, but there's a lot of stuff that are like have truths. And, and she was very, very smart how she chose her words a lot of times. Like, for example, they, um, you know, there was a lot of upside with Theranos' ability to be in the battlefield. Like, so if you're a soldier, you can, uh, you know, te- you directly test your blood in the helicopter and you could be able to start transfusion on the fly, like saving thousands of lives. And she has this incredible story about how this could work. Um, she never says that they actually developed this product and that it works. And that's because like they didn't actually have a defense contract. They had nothing. So, so, but the turns of phrase you were using that were like actually not fraudulent when you see them in writing, but it's fraudulent in the feel, you know, I don't know if you ever felt that. Sorry, I interrupted you, but. Um, oh, not that. at all. I mean, so, so there, there's like some stuff where, um, you know, you hype it up. Um, yeah. And as long as you don't lie like that, that stuff's kind of par for the course. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Theranos, I mean, there was a lot of lying going on, as you said. Uh, the, I mean, the, the hype stuff is like, sure, you know, I mean, that, yeah. that, that, that stuff you do see a lot of. If you're a discerning investor type, though, I mean, you just cut through it. You'd be like, hey, so yeah. you have a defense contract? <laughs> you, know? <Yeah. laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, I don't know, like, like in dating, though, right? Uh, when you first meet somebody and, you know, both of you like you're you're both like the person you want to be you know and then over time you figure out yeah you know, everybody learns who you actually I, are I, I, you to know? your point zach i feel for entrepreneurs because uh you know you do have to really sell the dream 
And then yeah. sometimes when it goes to shit, people are like, oh, screw you. I hate you. And then you're like, eh, you know, some of those yeah. people. Sorry. Like, um, I, I, you know, I mean, one example of this is like I, I read the book and interviewed the authors of the book on uh, Adam Neumann and, and WeWork. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that that stuff. I think it's Newman, actually. But, um, yeah, you know, and, and you look at him, people pillory that guy. But then part of it is they're like, well, you know, I mean, he, he built like a big company out of nothing. And, you know, there was initially something there and the rest of it. So like that, they're. Like and, and in that case, there was like a lot of culpability in the system where a lot of people were like, well, you know, we'll make money. We'll just like freaking ride this train. Um, uh, so, yes. I, yeah. So th- there, there's like a mixed bag. I mean, were there a lot of people that really wanted to believe the idea of like the, the brilliant uh, woman founder of this uh, blood testing company and that it, it would be this in- incredible story? It's like, yeah, there, there were some biases that I think she used in her favor it was funny. It's like in the way she like subverted the sexism. Um, yeah. Because I, you know, I, I mean, I think it's, it's very, very difficult for um, women entrepreneurs, uh, you know, and, and to, to get some of the credibility um, at certain stages. Um, and then she managed to do it all. It's, uh, you know, of course in, in her case, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't real. Um, which makes it in, in some ways all the more painful because she was on the cover of Fortune magazine. She was at the White House. And uh, like, I'll, I'll, we'll close with this too. It's like I was at the White House, you know, a presidential ambassador of global entrepreneurship. I do think that there was a little bit of cherry picking of uh, the people who were in that group based upon our identities. Like, I, I joked at the time that I was like, hey, I'm like the token Asian. I probably was a token Asian, you know, <laughs> like, I, like I might, might not you know, I'd be joking that much. Um, uh, and and uh, Elizabeth Holmes, I think, was there in large part because she was a young woman, um, uh, you know, and they, they kind of built a picture. They built a photo. Uh, I think that it's one of the frustrations um, uh, of some people. And some people, it's like, does representation matter? Yes, it does. Um, like, should we be like, you know, just trying to cram reality into photo ops so that it's like oh we got to have one of each and this and if it's not there then they're like like, no it's like you know you you, there needs to be some substance that uh is real and that if you pursue the appearance in the face of reality um sometimes you end up with very very bad things like much worse than the frankly like the egg on your face of having uh, you know, a, a, a fraudster, <laughs> like as part of a White House photo. I mean, who cares about that, really? Though, you know, yeah. on one level, you could be like, okay, that's not good. But like, uh, but at, at the very, very extreme, you wind up trying to sell people a reality that does that 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 could. And I'm, th- I'm going to say something very difficult as a capstone to this conversation. Like, uh, if we're unable to have difficult conversations about Kamala Harris's electability because people are afraid to say something. Um, because she's uh, like the first woman of color VP. Oh, by the way, our entire democracy may hinge on our ability to have an honest conversation about whether she's like the, the right choice. You know, like someone needs to step up and have the hard convos um, because the country's destiny relies on it. That's a very good way to put it, man. It's, um, I don't know, I think people are getting afraid, afraid of getting being cast as a racist being cast as an asshole i don't know just like twitter backlash i don't you know i don't i don't well, know it, it's one reason why i just go with the empirical it's like look polls five points worse than joe i mean you can't argue yeah. with that it's just a number but you know yeah. like that but but ignoring that is uh 
is is potentially disastrous. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, look, Trump is the definition of authentic, at least to himself. I know he's a liar and there's other things, but like he, the people who support him feel like he is honest with him. He's established an authentic connection with his supporters. This one of the things Kamala's been hit on her entire career is that lack of authenticity. And it's a lot of Democrats are bad at this. Um, so that's the big challenge we have. Yeah, that is the problem. And Democrats don't talk like human beings talk. You know, it's like Democrats talk like politicians talk and the shit is just not working anymore. Um, and so like, you know, we, we need to grow up, you know, or, or else we're going to wind up with uh, autocrat Trump 2024. Uh, and, and if that happened, this is going to be, you know, it's like Democrats lost to this guy once in 16, almost lost him again in, in 2020. I mean, you know, victory is a victory. So, you know, got a clap on the back, um, but can't can't lose to him twice. Can't shouldn't have lost to him once. Can't lose to him twice. This is the moment where I'm like, all right, we should stop, stop talking and do something. So I'm like, all right, Andrew, maybe you should run again. But I don't know if like I, I mean, I obviously think you're the, a world of a better candidate and better human being than this guy. But I don't know if you'd be able to beat him. Um, I don't know what you thought. You, you're I'm saying sure like if I it, well, I, I think if I were the Democratic candidate and the establishment machine got behind me, I think I'd beat him because That's the Democrats true. would be like, sure, into it. And then I, I think I'd get a bunch of like the. Um, the, the, the middle folks. I agree. But but, but I, I think trying to entertain that possibility is, you know, uh, uh, you know, like I, I'm saying that the establishment somehow like got got behind me, um, which you know I think we've all seen. Like, you know, is not <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly their first impulse. Um, so no, so uh, you know so I, so I'm not necessarily saying like hey you know like choose Yang. Um, I'm saying choose someone who can beat Trump if you get behind him. It's so it, it, look, it's four or five states, man. That's that's what you have to focus on. Who polls better there? You know. That's true. And those numbers came out last week. And oh, by the way, right now it's Donald Trump. So yeah, let's you know. Good. So that, that, it's yeah, not, it's not good. They always show these national polls, and those are worthless. You have to look at the, the Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and now I guess like Georgia, Arizona, and a few others. But um, yep, those are the states. Let's do it. Let's preserve civilization. Fair Representation Act, that's what it's called? Yep, Fair Representation Act. I'm in Board party, nonpartisan primaries, ranked choice voting, third party, yeah. trying to activate the people. Um, you know, one thing I, I will say, um, too, we are collecting $5 donations to the Ford Party through the end of December. Uh, so if you are into the Ford Party, just donate 5 10 bucks. It's not about the money. It's just about raising your hand and saying that we need a different approach to politics. Um, anyone who donates to that, you're going to be helping us a lot because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of these individual donors that we have and then go to uh, deep pocketed folks and say, hey, look, the people want this. So if the people want it, <laughs> then I'm going to be able to, to take that case. There you go. Forwardparty.com. Yep. Forwardparty.com. Let's fix it. All right, guys. We'll be back next week. Later. Later.